We'll have luncheon in New York. Then fly to Maine and find a hideaway. For any time of year, we can play. That is Bruce Arnold, his track Playground. Bruce was the lead singer and uh, dominant musical core voice for Orpheus back in the 1960s, who sang one very great hit you can look up. And uh, I met Bruce with Mary at a uh, concert not all that long ago in Boston. And... um, discovered that he is a very active Episcopalian, as well as being a very nice guy. And um, it brought me in mind, for reasons it may become apparent, that excerpt of a remarkable experience, um, building on two other experiences in my life that I want to talk about. I want to sort of get it on record. I want to do it in a way that is... um, does justice to the individuals concerned, and yet also tells the truth as I see it and as I've experienced it. And it um, is a experienced uh, encounter, or rather three encounters, which are partially explained by a very odd and wonderful book by Dennis Wheatley, who published it in 1956, and of the many, many melodramatic books of uh, Dennis Wheatley, of which many are, you know, just not very good, but almost all of which sold enormously well in the UK and to some extent in America. Dennis Wheatley in 1956 wrote The Ka of Gifford Hillary, and it's a reference to the sort of mythological note that people have a kind of self that at death... If it's not quite ready to go, if it's stuck for any number of possible reasons, the ka, which is not exactly your soul, but is sort of the the humanly um, built part of you over your life, uh, which isn't really quite linked to the eternal part of the soul, which goes to God forever in bliss, peace, serenity, and envelopment by divine love, and we can't even find words for it except in the book of Revelation and in uh, certain things that Christ said and um, other notes, but especially in Revelation. The kingdom of heaven um, is yet still barred, as it were, for a time by the unresolved issues that are still um, in the uh, departed person that somehow, according to this kind of... um, parabolic uh, imaginative construct, which I find convincing, and I'm going to explain why in just a moment, because this is very important to me personally, and I hope is important to you because it relates to you, it relates to everyone listening. The ka is this sort of slightly unresolved, um, achieved self that is looking for um, serenity and uh, resolution uh, in terms of unresolved things. And uh, in this uh, melodramatic but really quite brilliant book, 
I think the ending is too rapid. I think he sort of, it's a long book. It's a novel, supernatural novel. And I think uh, Dennis Wheatley sort of ran out of creative gas at the end. This often happens to people. It's happened to you writing a term paper or working on some kind of written report. You kind of, or a book you might have wanted to write. You get to a point when you just had it and you just can't do any more. And I think that happened in this case because the book ends happily, but very, very uh, um, rather suddenly, um, almost like a yank. Um, but in the book, uh, Gifford Hillary is a sort of um, upper-class uh, um, English statesman, almost, uh, during the Cold War. And uh, after a long sort of ideological and conservative, and to me, um, refreshingly conservative, cabinet meeting in which he underlines Gifford Hillary, the threat from the communist countries to the democratic and capitalist, but shall we just say the Western free countries, and he's absolutely right, he is um, murdered by his wife's lover. And he is murdered, uh, takes him by surprise to say the least. He has no idea what's happening. And he's suddenly hit over the head um, at a kind of house on the water that he owns with his wife and this chap who's sort of a scientist in his um, under his uh, under his uh, research um, program, and uh, Gifford Hillary is <coughs> killed. But instead of uh, answering the question of heaven and hell or eternal life, um, Wheatley um, projects that the unresolved and questioning and completely taken by surprise kind of personal essence of Gifford Hillary kind of leaves his body and begins to travel in the here and now to find out what in the world has happened, because he is completely surprised by the rather long-term and highly malevolent affair uh, that his wife is having, and this man's long-term and highly malignant uh, hatred of him for all sorts of reasons. And so the soul, or the ka in this case, not really the soul exactly, but I, you have to read it. It's really worth reading. You can get it. It's very good. Very suggestive. And the car begins to travel around London and suburban London and places trying to understand what happened. What have I missed? What is going on? And he goes to the families of people he knew and the wives of people he knew and the lovers of people he knew and people he knew who were very fine. And he travels kind of almost astrally, although it's not quite astral projection. But the car goes to all sorts of places desperately trying to find an answer to this irresoluble um, violent ending of this good man, a sincere and good man. And um, the only person that sort of he goes into house after house after house in real time and never is able, no one has any idea he's there, obviously, because he's a ka, he's an invisible presence. He's taking it all in, but no one whom he's watching has any idea that he is there, except a dog, a loyal dog at one point who knew him and loved him. Uh, he's all ears, and uh, the dog has a sense, a hypersensitivity that detects the ka of Gifford Hillary. And finally, through a variety of really brilliant, and wonderful kind of um, kind of happenings, which are um, without his direct intervention, but he sort of is able to have some kind of a subtle influence through really deep thought, you might say, and highly concentrated, uh, desperate hopings to find out what happened, the injustice, the horrible injustice of what happened to his life. He's able to um, uh, motivate a young lieutenant, I think, uh, a young RAF lieutenant, who I think is one, a relative of his, to a nephew, maybe something like that.
like that, to um, to find out what's going on, who sort of smells a rat. And one thing after another after another, they um, they dig up Gifford Hillary, his dead body with his car watching is dug up. And at some point, because of the justice that's happened, he his body is reanimated and he comes alive again. And then, he, and then the whole case goes to court and the truth comes out and the terrible things happen to the, uh, to the uh, villains of the piece. And it's uh, very uh, powerful. But mainly it's the scenes of the car visiting the here and now places which he has just left. Uh, after his murder and seeing what's really true about his life and sort of visiting uh, places of importance because he learns as much about himself in watching people's reaction to his death as he ever knew in uh, physical life. And I am sympathetic to this because recently uh, something happened. I think I referred to it in my last podcast. I want to say a little bit more about it because I'm absolutely convinced this, this is the kind of thing Josh Redderer has a, an absolutely dear uh, sensitivity to, but it's it's authentic. It's appropriate because we do. W- when you bury someone, I've constantly have done so many funerals, the, and when you, especially if you delay it and it becomes just a celebration of life or a memorial service, it's not good. That is not a good thing. It should be a funeral for the soul of the departed, with the confidence of the resurrection of the soul in heaven with God and Jesus Christ, because of His infinite, uh, forgiving compassion for all of us. And that should be the emphasis, because the real question is, what happened when my friend Lloyd died? Uh, the, 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 the question I asked at the end of the funeral, and it turned out to be very, very uh, fructifying. It, it caused a tremendous uh, reaction positively among the hearers. I said the big question of the, the, after I talked lovingly about my best friend, uh, I said, where is Lloyd? Where is he? Because that's the only thing that matters to Lloyd. I mean, we his memory matters to us, but that will fade in time in this eon. But what? Ma- but because when you're buried, what what will really matter? Where are you? Where is Paul? Where is Bill? Where is uh, Mary? Where is John? Where are they? What are they feeling? Are they having? Because otherwise, life is completely despairing. If life has no, if you have no ending after death, then, then the best you can do is to the best you can, and then your physical illnesses and problems of aging will discount and nullify almost everything you've ever done. That's actually true. That actually happens in experience in people who are older. Everyone who here is older, unless you're very deluded, will know it from your sheer bodily exhaustion and symptoms that you have. So um, what... Uh, happened um, years ago when my roommate in college, my freshman and uh, sophomore roommate in college, <coughs> was killed in a, alone in a boating accident on the Rappahannock River. Is uh, About uh, five months after he died, I was in New York at Grand Central Station, and I saw him coming up the, uh, the up escalators. I was going down in the escalator that's still there, sort of the 43rd to 42nd Street escalator from the bank building that's still there. You can, it's exactly the same place. And I saw him. Now, did I see him? I felt I saw him. Our relationship had been unresolved. We had been a little bit um, angry at each other in the last few weeks of our living together in an apartment and uh, just normal roommate problems. It wasn't deep, but it was tense, a little tense. We we were getting ready to the point when we didn't want to be roommates anymore. And uh, after he died, it was a, it, the funeral was very, the whole thing was ambivalent to me emotionally, although I wouldn't have necessarily said that, but I saw him. I saw him, and that made a tremendous difference. Um, I can still go to the place where I saw him. It's kind of phosphorus for me. Now, um, then years later, many years later, and not all that long ago, when my friend Lloyd uh, died, also suddenly and unexpectedly, I had had, uh, um, uh, called him on the phone 
the day he died and uh, sent him an email and sent him a picture because I had been in a bar, uh, I had walked by a bar that was near Tullian's church in Fort Lauderdale. And the name of the bar was the name of a collection of short stories that Lord had written. The very last thing he wrote before he died are some wonderful short stories. And... Um, I wrote Lloyd and sent him the picture, and uh, the next day, uh, he was totally on my mind, and it was not a situation where I would have been thinking about him at all. I hadn't seen him for a while, <clears throat> and um, I got a call from his uh, sister saying that he had suddenly, terribly, unfortunately, and with the most terrible sorrow to all of us, died. In other words, the actual day that I had been reaching out to him because of the reminder of these stories by walking before, I have the photograph now, um, and then about, um, oh, three months later, two months later, we were back doing a centering prayer evening at um, afternoon at uh, All Saints Episcopal Church in Winter Park. And I um, was in the middle of centering prayer and Lloyd came to me. He came to me, however, not uh, in his later years, not looking or coming across as he did in later years, but as I knew him when he was uh, 11, because we knew each other first when we were 11 and 12, and we were the closest possible of boyhood friends. And um, he sat with me for a moment, and um, I took his hand, and he took mine. He was with us for about eight minutes, just, and he wasn't looking at me. He was looking ahead, because, you know, when you do center in prayer, you're, you're not looking at somebody. You're, you're looking out at, at God as you, certainly not at their present. You're detaching from the present intentionally. And Lloyd was looking in the same direction as I. And then after about four or five minutes, he disappeared. He just, and his, my hand was no longer being held, and he disappeared. And I believe that was his ka. For whatever reasons, I believe he was saying to me something about our love, as children, our boyhood love that was uh, extremely real and was very positive. We we both derived enormous good. There was nothing lurid, uh, sullied, or selfish. I mean, we were little boys, but it was it was deeply um, mutual, uh, and we had interests that were the deepest interests we've ever had. And um, I could go on, but I've talked about him before. So that was the ka, as I believe it, of Lloyd. Now, only um, a f few weeks ago, I was um, looking for a letter from Lloyd's father, who was the rector of the Episcopal Church in Exeter, New Hampshire, and had written me a long letter of kind of avuncular advice that was really wonderful. <clears throat> and I remember it, and I was looking through the letter, which had nothing to do with what next happened, and I was looking through the letter, and out of the little file where I found the letter, another letter fell, just, just literally fell. I'm sure this has happened to you. I'm sure this has happened to you. Just think about it. I'm sure you've had an experience like this. And the letter fell out, and the letter was from some about some was from somebody else, uh, someone I knew very very well and really cared for 50 years ago, six fifty five, long time ago, <coughs> at least 50 years ago, 50 years and running, 51, 52 years. And the letter was an extraordinarily powerful letter of support and encouragement and. Um, uh, real, uh, absolutely altruistic and unself-concerned love from someone. And I was so touched by it that I immediately wanted to write her and not, um, not in the current, like a, some kind of a reaching out as a person, but I wanted to praise her for the letter because I wasn't sure if I'd ever said it. I didn't want to, uh, I, I wanted to praise this person for her remarkably giving, unbelievably um, affirming letter. So I wrote someone who had I'd known who, who who had known her very well, and did you have the email? And said she knows. Sadly, she didn't. We'd all gone to college together. Then I wrote someone else, and I said, "Do you have the email?" Because I don't have the current email, and she didn't either. <clears throat> and so I finally didn't. Well, I did have the address, so I 
wrote a letter but without a return address because I wasn't looking for her for a response. I just wanted to praise this person for an act of generous altruistic concern that had been expressed in a letter that I had not remembered and hadn't seen for 50 years. And um, I sent the letter to the snail mail address with my name in the back, but no return address, no email, and no phone because I wasn't looking for that. I was. It really was. A, a, <laughs> it rarely happens in life, but it was a genuinely um, outwardly directed letter of affirmation. And um, then I found out through a very, very odd source that she had died. And come to find out, she had died one day after I had found this letter, about three days before I sent my letter to her um, regular geographic address. She had died exactly one day before this letter had dropped out of a file, because I have a file of stuff related to her from long ago, but it, the letter wasn't there. The letter was in a different file. This particular letter of hers was in a different file, it was in a letter with my friend Lloyd's father's letter, and it was un, there was no other letters in there. And are you kidding me? Well, it, what would you say? I mean, it, it had to be some kind of a I regarded it as an appearance of the ka of this terrific person because the person had died alone and um, couldn't be helped and uh, unhappy and, uh, as far as I know, uh, and really very sick, very ill, and most of all alone. And I thought to myself, golly, I wish I'd been able to hold her hand and just have a 15-minute visit uh, and talk to her about the, if I may call it that, the words of Christian hope. I wish I could have could have offered to her from my own experience uh, and my own sense of concern for her a, a word of Christian hope before she died. And uh, that was not to be, but I, oh my gosh, if this isn't the car. So you can see I've had three experiences of it. It means a great deal. And um, so what am I saying? I'm saying that there's more to it, to funerals, than just encomia. And that's why I very much believe that, I hope to, I believe it, I believe it so strongly, that services, even celebrations of life, should be held as quickly as possible, like the Muslims do, and like people in Birmingham do for other historic reasons. Always have the funeral within a week, because, and not for your sake, and not for the sake of children and other people who might not be able to be there, but for the sake of the, the ka of the person. Give, give, give the person a chance to hear and remember the belovedness that is there, so that ka is not, as it were, kept on hold because I've known people who's, who had kept their loved ones ka on hold. Not, not Maybe the pain of having a funeral was too much or they didn't believe in God. I understand that. But some sort of marking as soon as possible so the person is not held. This is why ghost stories are written because all the ghost stories you read all have the insight that something unresolved kept the ka or ghost of the person in a place where something bad was done and that they need to be released. And that's why places get haunted, quote, end of quote. And, and you have... Uh, sometimes for hundreds of years, because no one really thought that there might be this uh, you when you die, and if there are unresolved things, uh, and you need to go and try to somehow, you're uh, inevitably there's a deep drive within you that is I I I I irresistible to resolve issues, especially ethical, moral, and love issues. Those things have got to be resolved. So, funerals early, funerals um, immediate, and watch out for the car. And I believe what I was when this letter. 
I was seeing the person at her very, very most truthful, sincere, beautiful, young self. And that is the self, ultimately, that, that is just uh, so uh, aspiring to be in the kingdom of God with serenity, peace, and a lack of judgment, as I said uh, in my conclusion to my last podcast. So this is a little bit more form, and now I'm going to... Uh, play uh, an excerpt from a, a German uh, long television show called uh, Generation War uh, when um, one's youth is memorialized very uh, beautifully after uh, two of four childhood friends are killed in World War II and the remaining survivors meet and they memorialize their beloved but now dead uh, best friends. Love you so. God bless. Bye. Thank you.